0: Vitality Media presents the Mike and Moe Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. 10 of the Mike and Mo Show. Yes, this is double digits of our show. I am Mike Calandrillo. Here's Maurice Mohn, and unfortunately, we start today on a bit of a somber note, as news recently broke that Prince, the musical legend, has passed away at his recording studio in his hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Prince was only 57 years old, and if you're asking yourself why are we talking about Prince on, you know, a sports talk show, it's because a couple different reasons. Obviously, he was uh, a pretty big influence of mine back in the day when I was doing my music, and he has a lot of sports connections in general. Uh, he was a huge Minnesota franchise fan, uh, whether it came to the Vikings or the T-Wolves or the Twins, for that matter, who actually are honoring him tonight at their game. Uh, the entire stadium has been draped in purple. And uh, if you remember back to Super Bowl 41, which took place in Miami uh, 2007, he performed what they call one of the greatest Super Bowl performances in the history of the contest. It was seen by more than 140 million television viewers and was was pretty much confirmed that it was the largest audience Prince had ever received. If you remember back, it was an epic downpour. It was the likes that the NFL had never seen before for a championship game. And uh, the producers actually called Prince before the match and they said to him, you know, are you going to be okay? You know, it's raining pretty hard. And Prince came out and said, can You Make It Rain Harder? I mean, that's that's what made this man so epic. I mean, he performed on a slick, tiled stage that was, the, I guess, the same shape as the logo that he referred to himself as, and he jammed out on four different electric guitars, and he just got pelted from every angle with rain and wind. It was, it was epic, but when he started performing Purple Rain in the rain, and we played that little clip uh, at the start of this show, I mean, it just goes to show... How cool, how special, and how much rock and roll that this man really embodied. So, uh, you know, it's with a heavy heart, we uh, we will absolutely miss Prince. And uh, we are thankful for for the many years and all the music that he leaves behind. And uh, for anybody that doesn't really know Prince on that level, go back, YouTube him, listen to his epic music. Because he changed the face of music and, and the people that we get to listen to today forever. He was just... Uh, he was an icon, he was he was an entrepreneur, and uh, he will be missed. But we're going to do our best to lighten the mood. We're going to talk sports, and I'm going to throw it over to the man that is my yin to his yang, Mo Moten. Mo, how are we doing today, brother?
1: We're doing good. Uh, as you said, somber news. I'm actually getting a lot of somber news within the last 24 hours. But um, I'm going to try to lighten it up with some sports. There's no way you can kind of segue a dark subject as death to light as you know, we talk about sports, but we'll do our best to lighten the, the moment and talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. But uh last week we spoke about what we felt about the first round and what we who we saw advancing and uh, we were pretty much spot off a lot of our a lot of our predictions. Maybe some you were wrong on, maybe a few I was wrong on, but I have my reasons. There are reasons why I was wrong. Uh, we're gonna start off with the Celtics. I titled the Celtics very much as a team of surprise and they encountered a bit of a road bump. Avery Bradley gets hurt. Danny Ainge says it's a grade two strain, which is which could be a partial tear. And the Celtics followed up an inspiring first game with a poor second game. They finished, they lost 89-72, scored seven first quarter points. It's a bit of a struggle. Mike, I'll give you this one. I'll throw you a bone on this. You're probably right about this Hawks series. It probably won't even go to seven. Mm-hmm. You're probably thinking Avery Bradley, big deal, but he's a big part of their their perimeter defense, and he, he's a pretty decent scorer. So with a team like the Celtics, who doesn't have, they don't have a lot of stars. So once you miss one part, it's, it's it might tear up the whole train where it could slow them down and, They'll possibly lose this series, maybe. I still see them getting a game or two, but I'm gonna have to retract my prediction on them winning the series in seven. Oh yeah. you happy, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, Hotlanna. Hotlanna throwing a block party the other night. I mean, what was it? Seventeen blocks by Paul Millsap? I mean, absolutely yeah. just throwing their weight around, and that's what I said. They needed to do. They needed to come out and use those big bodies by him and Horford and, and just dominate. And it's it's really just a cut and dry series. It's not over yet. But uh, it's yeah. certainly looking that way. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, Boston, good season. I still think they came a little too far, too fast. I definitely think they need some more pieces uh, to kind of, you know, solidify what is a nice young team. Atlanta's just, uh, they're deep and they've got a lot of veteran players. So I don't see anything changing in the series.
1: How about the Kembe Matumbo in the stands waving a finger? <laughs> How about that, you know?
0: Hey, if anybody's going to do it, let the Kembe do it.
1: Yeah, I know uh, Bismarck Biambo – had a, had a little finger wagging with the Toronto Raptors and I'm just like, You're not the original the Kevin Matumbo. Put your put your finger down, dude. But, you um, do not
0: come to my country and wave <laughs> the finger.
1: <laughs> that was Mike's awesome the Kevin Matumbo person. Yes
0: it was. But
1: uh speaking about the Raptors, I still had no faith in them. They recovered after our first round first game loss to the Indiana Pacers. And uh they recovered in game two. But what worries me about the Raptors is DeMar DeRozan, who's supposed to be their 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 duo half of their duo of stars there with Kyle Lowry is having a poor shooting series. He shot five for 18 in game one and five for 19 in game two. So unless he, unless he fixes this and even if he does, I still see the Pacers winning again, probably winning in seven. Kyle Lowry is coming close to triple doubles, but he cannot do it by himself against a Pacers team. That's pretty well balanced. Again, they have some young bigs and, and it's just not going to be enough. Again, uh, there's some hope for the Raptors, but yeah, Still still Pacers and seven for
0: me. Yeah, pretty much whoever doesn't I guess whoever plays the less terrible should win this series. Um it's just Stop it. Yeah, I mean, besides from Paul George going off in game one, this has been a, a horrible terrible series from everybody else on the court i'm just so not impressed by DeRozan rosen because i think his his mindset is already with the lakers trying to get that max contract uh right after the season i just ugh, just ugly basketball up and down the court and somebody's got to win but whoever it is i think you could possibly see either of them getting swept in the next round just really disappointing uh with with both those teams
1: Hey, Mike be easy. I got some Pacers fans probably listening to this podcast, and they, I don't think they or she would like to hear what you're saying about <laughs> the Pacers. But, uh, um, yeah, hmm. no, I, I, I'm with you on DeMar DeRozan. and I'm not sold on his game. He's more or less just a shooter, or a scorer. He doesn't really give you anything else. He doesn't, his defensive stats aren't up. I know he gives you a little bit of assist, maybe three, four assists a game, but if his shooting is not right, he's pretty much useless on the court because he, he, can't, he can't shut down a perimeter shooter or anything like that. So, Raptors in big trouble. I still got Pacers in seven, like I said, but we'll move on to an interesting series that where uh I think Mike was going to be totally wrong on. And Dwayne Wade apparently is turning back the clock because he is killing it on the court. By the way, Nicholas Batum went down with an ankle sprain last night, so that's more worry for the Charlotte Hornets. But I had the Heat winning in five, and it looks like that's going to happen. I think Mike, if I'm mistaken did you have the Hornets winning in like six or seven games
0: yeah I was think, it- I, think it was, I think it was seven I could be wrong but yeah I, I did because they, they're such a good defensive team when a guy like Batum is in the lineup because he's their key perimeter defender and when you lose him you let Dwayne Wade just slash to the basket and you let Drogic you know hit the corner and, and and pop it to you know whoever might be down low or who's on the wing and so when you lose a guy like that with such length Uh, Yeah, it's going to go a long way. Again, this is Kemba Walker's first real opportunity in the playoffs to show himself. And unfortunately, he hasn't really stepped up now. You know, there's still time. I think if they they have to win game three, absolutely, without without a doubt. But um, yeah, Miami's making me eat my words a little bit. They should, they should, because you know they're a veteran team. But uh, it's not over just yet. I still like, I still like what what the Hornets can do if they get their defense right. Al Jefferson needs to step up. He needs to he needs to lay the wood to Hassan Whiteside. Right now, he's just letting him kind of dominate, and that's not like uh, it's not like Jefferson. Uh, your boy Jeremy Lin needs to uh, you know stop slicking his hair back and worry about more of his game. <laughs> But, uh, you know, time will tell. But uh, I can, you know, unfortunately, like I said, game three is this entire series. So come on, Hornets.
1: So is Dwayne Wade, 34-year-old Dwayne Wade, he's turning back the clock. Is he, is he giving you a shocker right now? Because before you said, I don't know about Dwayne Wade. He's a little <laughs> old. I don't know about White Whiteside, Dragic. Those guys are playing pretty well. Yeah. But he's scoring well over 100 points in this series in both games. I, Very I, impressing me. even. I had them winning the series. I was, I'm not as surprised as you are. But I'm surprised about the high amount of points they scored. Even Dang is putting
0: in buckets, so you gotta be surprised. About yeah, that. anytime Luol Deng decides to show up, I mean that's just that's just money right there. And again, Dwayne Wade doing big things. You know, he's trying to prove all the doubters wrong. Uh, let's see, let's see how far his knees can carry him through uh, through the playoffs, though, because you know, again, wonderful showing right now, but it's a long playoff series, so uh, you know, next round could be a totally different story.
1: So I guess we're even. I was wrong about the Celtics, you're wrong about the Hornets. Both yeah. due to injuries probably, but we'll see. Sure. Uh, on to the entertaining series of the Eastern Conference, which is a surprise to me. But uh, the Pistons and the Cavs, or Cavs and Pistons, there's an interesting uh, one-on-one battle going on between LeBron James and Stanley Johnson, who is a rookie 19 years old out of Arizona. And he said that he's in LeBron's head. Now, I, I don't think so. Cavs are up 2-0. They did have a close uh, game one. Stan Van Gundy criticized the refs as being, you know, it's LeBron, he's, he's going to get his calls. But, I mean, give give the Pistons some props. They, pay, they played LeBron and the Cavs pretty close, gave them a scare in game one. The Cavs pulled it out in game two and pretty much ran over the Pistons. I don't think Stanley's in uh, LeBron's head. I mean, Stanley, slow down a little bit. You are a rookie. You only started six games this year, eight points, four rebounds. Slow down, young fella. Uh, it's going to take you some time. But it's interesting to see that, LeBron seems to have a nemesis every time he's in the playoffs. At one point, it was Lance Stevenson, and he was pretty much a nobody before he became a main guy on the Pacers and then kind of went down the tubes again. But there's always a guy that seems to be in LeBron's in LeBron's ear. Paul Pierce, Lance Stevenson, now Stanley Johnson. This is, uh, will still go down in five games, I feel. LeBron will take care of business, and Stanley Johnson has some grown-up to do, but it's good to see that he's not afraid of the big stage.
0: Absolutely, but you got to tell me if I'm wrong. But does LeBron not play better when he's angry? He he does. (laughs) He he looks like a menace out there. I mean, he is spry. He looks he looks like he's 25. The guy's just jumping from all around the court. He's he's getting in people's faces. Uh, one he was gonna look like him and one of the Morris twins were gonna we're gonna throw down the other day, and he gave him that look of that uh, that look of hate basically. But I love this LeBron. This is the LeBron that will win. A title. This is the. This is what LeBron needs to do. He, he's not. He just can't be that lovable, hug it out kind of guy. He needs to put this team on his back and he needs to just dominate. And you don't mean, need to make friends. Get ugly. That's the only way you're gonna. This team is going to exceed expectations. I mean, Kyrie is hitting shots. He's carrying this team in the second half of games. Even you know Australia's finest, Matthew Vadova, You know he's he's balling. Played 22 minutes the other day. I mean, he's coming out. He's got nine assists. He's he's doing big things. And again, you need the the. the Lesser players to step up, and that's what's happening. But, of course, you're only going to be as good as LeBron and Kyrie, and right now they're great. So it'd be lovely to see Kevin Love do something. But, again, if you can get something from uh, Tristan Thompson or Delavadova can keep this up, this team's going to hands down take the, uh, take the East.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what? I said this before, and I said the Cleveland Cavaliers are pretty much bored with the season. And I think LeBron needs this. LeBron needs a guy like Stanley Johnson to, to, to talk crap to him through the media and say, I, I think I'm in his head. Because it gives him some motivation. It gives LeBron that extra motivation to, as you said, play play unleashed. You know, get angry, yeah. get mean, you know. And I think that's what the Cavs need, that push. And they're going to need that throughout the playoffs. This, everyone expects them to get to the Eastern Conference um, Finals and then to the NBA Finals. Sure, but, yeah. You you need you kind of need that nemesis that arch enemy to kind of push you to the extra yard because if you ask any fierce competitor they'll tell you it's it's an adversary that pushes them to that absolute limit to get the greatest out of them you know two guys two great guys I mean Stanley Johnson's not a great player but someone to push him and, and every every competitive athlete needs someone to push him to his highest potential basically sure. We're gonna go into the West and the uneventful West. A lot of uh, ball games over there, some boring games. But we'll start off with the Rockets and the Warriors. Uh, the big story here is not even the Rockets up to zero. Is how is Stephen Curry's ankle? Now, I I don't think there's anything to worry about. I feel like Stephen Curry knows that the Warriors can beat the Rockets without him, and that's what they did in Game Two. But um, people are kind of holding their breath. If you're in Oracle Arena, you're probably like, "Well, is Stephen Curry, okay? Because we're gonna need him to win the championship. Yes. we're gonna need him to get through the Western Conference Finals against the Spurs. Potentially, they'll probably need him against the Clippers next series, and a very fierce uh, competitive matchup. But uh, whereas again, they'll they'll sleep, but it's Stephen Curry's ankle something to to worry about.
0: Of course. I mean, this was, his, uh, this was his biggest thing coming out of college in his first couple years in the NBA were those ankle problems. So anytime Curry goes down with an ankle problem, you have to hold your breath. So, again, they're, they're being cautious. That's smart. Obviously, they're up to nothing. Is it a, more of a telling sign, though, that the Warriors are this good without Steph, or is it just more of a sign that the Rockets are this
1: bad? I think it's the Rockets being this bad. Because, again, the, the, the Warriors are not being the Clippers – the Thunder or the Spurs without Stephen Curry. Sure. Like, it's just not going to happen. They may get two games out of those teams without him, but they absolutely need him to beat those teams. So he'll be needed absolutely for the second round, which is why I feel like Stephen Curry is probably just resting because he knows the Rockets are a dumpster fire. i not going to say that, but we all know that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if they take game three, there's no point in bringing him back for game four. Just wait if the, you know, if the series even goes 3-2. I mean, I don't see it happening, but if you don't have to play Curry, let him rest.
1: Right, I, I say let them run. Even if, let's say the Warriors do lose games, right? I still let them rest. Sure. I say, okay, well, let the Rockets hold up their home court and be going back. We're going back to Golden State anyway. Then you just play rest Stephen Curry for the rest of the series. Unless Steve Curry's thinking, Let's sweep, the, let's sweep the Rockets, get them out of the way, and then get the rest that Seth Curry needs. Get the rest while the Clippers and the Blazers play. The only problem is, which we'll, talk, which we'll touch on next, is I think the Clippers and the Blazers might also be headed for a season sweep. Uh, Clippers and Blazers, Clippers win by 21 and then 20 at home. Chris Paul has been a very aggressive this series, 25, 28 points, I believe. All the Blazers head, headed, headed home, headed home for fishing, after a, a sweep, I mean, could it happen? I thought this is actually be a little bit more competitive than I've,
0: than I've seen. So. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul and J.J. Reddick have just been playing lockdown defense on Lillard and McCollum. And, and that's a little surprising because, you know, we've J.J. Reddick's been in the league a long time and he hasn't really been known for his defense, but he's stepping up. Uh, and what I love, my favorite part of all this, is Blake Griffin. I mean, this is Blake Griffin. This is another man playing angry out there, showing the world that he is still should be the most dominant player on this Clipper team. I mean, he is just, he is knocking people over. He's getting to the basket. He's grabbing the rebounds. He's doing what he should be doing for a man of that size. And I, man, it's scary, but this team could take Golden State 7 and possibly upset the reigning champs. I just, I, I,
1: come on. You don't think so? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. No. If if that, if that
0: carry is right,
1: if his ankle is right, and if, if, it's just precaution on Steve to behalf. The Clippers do not beat the Rockets if he's okay. Now, I understand you're getting hyped because, you know, you come from L.A., probably, you know, from you Orlando, and you're probably hoping for a Clippers upset because the Lakers are, are nowhere to be found. But uh, think about it. The Warriors have owned the Clippers over the past couple of years. and uh, CP3, his aggressiveness may help them, and may push it to seven, but I don't see the Clippers upsetting the Warriors if Steph Curry isn't the... Right, if his
0: ankles are okay. Yeah, I mean, you got to go with the reigning champ on paper, but I like the way the Clippers are playing. Not, not that we don't like the way the Warriors are playing, but I just think this will be, I think it will be a great, great series. I mean, hands down, the only thing I worry is that if, who they, we'll talk about next, if the Spurs continue to coast, it's just going to take a lot out of whoever does win, you know, if it is the Clippers and the Warriors, it's going to take a lot out of that team against, you know, the second best team in the NBA, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. you spoke about the Spurs and the Grizzlies and they just had a snoozer the other night in game two. I believe the game I looked at the game, it was maybe eighty two to sixty eight and it was the fourth quarter time winding down. Greg Popovic had a post game press conference and there were barely any questions for him, if any. Because it was pretty self explanatory. The Grizzlies stink. They have no offense. Mm-hmm. The Spurs are the better team. You know, they had a great home court record. They didn't finish undefeated on their court, but they had they lost at least one game that was to the Warriors. I mean, who actually has the Grizzlies winning this series besides those Grizzlies players? And I'm sure even they're like, guys, we're not going to win this game. We're not going to win this series. <laughs> so, I mean, no surprise here. I expect to be in As far as the continue coasting, people are making a big deal of Tim Duncan not being what he is. I mean, the guy's in his late 30s. I mean, he's at the end of his career, I don't expect him to contribute much. He'll have spots. He may be playing possum this early because he knows it's the good, He knows his guy has this in the bag already. But don't be surprised if Tim Duncan gets a shot of energy in the second and third, maybe even if they make the NBA Finals, if he has a big
0: NBA Finals. Yeah, we talked about this last episode. It's just it's just Spurs playing Spurs ball. They're, they're chilling. They, they don't need to exert themselves. You don't have to play Tim Duncan more than 20 minutes a night right now. Rest Ginobili, rest Parker. I mean, that's what Kawhi Leonard's for. You know, if guys like Danny Green can continue to do their thing man, this team's going to be tough to beat because at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have young legs, but this experience, and they're just still really good. It's not like they're just old and kind of hanging around. They're still really good. So mm-hmm. it's hard to put your money against the Spurs. Uh, I can't wait to see, uh, I can't wait to get past this first round because whew, it's been a couple of snoozers. Yeah, a couple
1: of snoozers. Um, one, uh, it was kind of, I, I guess you could say this last year's Thunder Mass, sort of interesting because of the stuff going on off the court. I mean, the Mavs did score a win, you know, on the road by one point in Kevin Durant's probably worst shooting game of his career. That says a lot about the Mavs. Kevin Durant had a very poor shooting game, probably, again, like I said, worst of his career, and the Mavs still only won by one point. And this is after the fact Stephen Athens almost tipped in a game winner. So think about that. But what I'm interested in is um, Russell and on the sideline before the game, and Charlie Villanueva decided to step in between and kind of interrupt it, and then Russell just kind of shoves him out the way. That's why I love Russell. He's hard about everything he does. Even though he's doing this little little kid dance, he's still doing it with with harsh anger, and he's just shoving this dude Charlie Villanueva out of the way to continue his ritual. And in the post game after the loss, Russell says. Yeah, um, I'm not going to give this guy any more press. It's just for guys who don't even play the game. I was just like, ouch. He just <laughs> torched this guy, I mean, he was pretty good on the Pistons, and then he got to the Mavs. and he was pretty much an afterthought. But Russell has really nothing much to say about this guy who's pretty much a bench benchwoman
0: at this point in his career. Yeah, Ru- Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook <laughs> is the closest thing that we have to Kobe Bryant in terms of just being a- an... A lethal kind of i'm a, I'm a kick you while you're down type of player finish you off I and mean, we don't have many guys like that in the nba so it's refreshing to see that as far as the dancing and all that's concerned i kind of to a certain extent i side with villanueva because they were doing this dance in the layup line which is like you know what you y- I don't necessarily agree with shoving a dude, but if you're doing a dance and then you're in my way of the layup line, I'm not going to move. So you need to get out the way. I mean, whatever works for these guys before the game, as far as getting yourself type all about it. But, uh, yeah, it's just – it's really – it's awesome to see Russell Westbrook like this. And, again, I know you gave me so much grief last week about him and Durant, but I just – I don't like it. I do not like the – they don't mesh. And, I mean, we've been seeing this now for how many years? Six, seven years? It's, it's going to come to an end. It's going to come to an end this summer. Uh, and somebody said to me the other day, well, what about a if- – if both of them go to the same team like the Lakers I was like why would why would why would they do that they have that now why would they go to another team and play together these guys don't want to play together regardless of what they may tell you in the media they just don't cuz it doesn't that's not going to win them a championship they're just they're not they're not there so i don't know it's been uh, it's been an interesting series again maybe it'll go maybe it'll, maybe the mavs will win again another game or two but if if that were to happen shame on shame on those thunder
1: so
0: there you go you said it clear
1: as day right you're saying Durant and Westbrook
0: just don't mesh. Is that all the records? Yeah, yeah I said it match. I said it last I said it last episode and you yelled at me. Yeah, no, you kinda denied it. I you said it last <laughs> episode. Then later on in the episode you denied it. And I said we won the
1: tape. I wasn't the only guy who said they don't mesh. And you're like, no, I was a little soft No, you just said it again. They don't mesh. They're gonna okay, look at it this way. I think they're gonna get the Spurs a little bit of issue, especially if let's say the Thunder dispose of the Masters in five games and the Spurs sweep as we all think they will. I think a well-rested Thunder team, I guess a well-rested Spurs team, is going to be a, actually a pretty good series. I see that series going six or seven games. I wouldn't put the pencil Spurs in right away because if they don't get enough scoring and Durant and Westbrook are high, they're, they're going to be in trouble. But uh, as you said before, Westbrook is just a savage. Just to say, that's, that's the only word to describe. He's just a complete savage no matter what he does. This guy's playing ping pong or throwing darts. He's probably a savage in anything that's dead. That, you know, involves competition. But sure. We'll see how it shakes out. I don't see Durant having uh, as bad a shooting game as he had in game two. So the Mavs, so the Mads will go home after five games. But, um, we're going to transition to a team that could be in the playoffs in the future. The Minnesota Timberwolves signed Tom Thibodeau to a five-year, forty million dollars contract. Now, I I if I remember last podcast, you were not in favor of Thibodeau going to the Timberwolves because you were afraid that he would run down their young talent. Yep. Now I'll just say one thing. Hey, okay, just one thing. Derrick Rose is fragile. No matter who the coach is, Derrick Rose is just fragile as can be. I mean, you you go on the guy's ear and he has he has an ACL tear. <laughs> you can't really blame that on Thibodeau. I know Jimmy Butler's had the issues and. Joe Canoa is out this year, but um, I think he'll bring it back a bit. I think uh, the guys in the front office will get in there and say, hey, you know, just less than the minutes a little bit. 35 minutes, 30 minutes is good. You don't need to pay them 40 to 45 minutes a game. But uh, you you know for sure Kevin Durant I'm Kevin Durant. Kevin Garnett is not going for that. Kevin Garnett, obviously the veteran of the team, is not going to play in second minutes. And he'll be there, too, to kind of coach, be a player's coach, and say, you know, hey, Maybe you want to do it this way, because Thibodeau is not that established. Yes, he had five seasons with the Bulls, and he had three winning, he had winning seasons, three seasons of 50-plus wins, playoffs in all five years. But he's going to have, again, he's going to have a guy, Garnett, who has a lot of experience in the NBA, helping him out with the, with the young players. And I think the Timberwolves will get back to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, that's going to be the consensus pick. That's going to be everybody's uh favorite team kind of like the Clippers were a couple years ago. Everybody's going to be on the Wolves bandwagon, and you know rightfully so. They got a lot of young talent. Why I don't like this is because I don't I don't want my head coach being the president of basketball operations. I just don't. I want those guys to be two separate yeah. entities. I want one to feed off the other. I want one to be focused on basketball operations and one to be focused on the team. I, I understand that Thibodeau was 255 and 139 in the regular season. He won the 2010 coach of the year. It was just 23 and 28 in the playoffs. Fine. But this guy's never been a president of operations. Everybody in the world wanted wanted the head coaching job. If you were going to give a job like this, who, which basically he has total control of the team. Yes, they did bring over uh, Spurs assistant GM Scott Layden to be their new GM. But everybody wanted this job. So if why wouldn't you? Would you not prefer to give it to say like a uh, Jeff Van Gundy who did the same position in a Houston? I just don't. I don't get it. Why you? Why they had to give it to him? especially when you're paying this guy over 8 million dollars a year for 5 years. It's a lot it's a lot to take on, especially for a young team that still needs to be molded and you still need to get the best out of and with so many question marks about Thibodeau's coaching style, I would have just preferred to have him focus on one and not necessarily the other, but the T-Wolves obviously saw something that I don't see. It's just a risk. It's it's a risk with a young roster.
1: It is a risk because they're giving him
0: so much power.
1: But reports are out that he didn't really get along with the Bulls front office. So I felt like maybe the team was like, okay, we'll give him a little more leeway to see how he does. And maybe, you know, if things go awry. We'll strip him of, of those duties. And just leave him as head coach. Who knows? But think about this. When's the last time Minnesota's been in the playoffs? I, I'll ask that for you. 2003 to 2004. So they got to try something. Because what they've been doing hasn't been working. And if you think about it, as I said, Thibodeau brought the Bulls to the playoffs five times. It just so happens that he ran to LeBron James in three of those appearances, and probably one of the best you know teams in the playoffs with the Heat when that big three, and then he lost to the Cavs with LeBron coming back. So you got to think about it, think about it that way. If there was no LeBron, he'd probably be in the finals a couple of times. So you, you can't you can't really question his coaching style. You just say, hey, just lay up on the minutes for the young guys. Spread it out, have a have a larger rotation, and I think the Timberwolves
0: will be fine. Yeah, but my question to you is that they've done they've done what they've done in the past couple of years with with the draft picks, and they've drafted you know pretty well for the most part. You know, obviously, since before they drafted that whole Johnny Flynn debacle. But yeah, what what is Thibodeau going to bring to the team as far as a, a a president of basketball operations that they already didn't have? I understand that he's a totally different coach than you know Sam Mitchell and what they had before him, but. What is he gonna do? Who, do you really think he's gonna attract free agents to go to Minnesota? Because he, we already heard that him, Derek Rose, him, Jimmy Butler, him, Todd Gibson, all these guys didn't get along. So, I mean, who who is he gonna pick up the phone and say, Wanna come play with me in Minnesota? I, I don't I don't see it.
1: I don't think you really have to do much to attract players to come to Minnesota because the players can see Carl and E. Town's doing well, Andrew Wiggins is doing well. You know, you got a spokesperson in like Kevin Garnett there who will probably take an organizational job after he's done playing. So I think the appeal of the roster is just enough to get players to come and want to play and possibly win a championship. Thibodeau just has to worry about getting the parts in, sign, You know, getting the guys in and implementing his his coaching plan, whatever that is. And I know you worry about it because he hasn't he hasn't had this position, which is a, which is a fair thing to worry about. But um, again, I I, I believe in Thibodeau enough. and the the organization enough that they did their due diligence on this, and they they ran through the interview process, and they feel comfortable with what he's going to bring to the table.
0: Yeah, I think I think one way or the other, this will be uh, Thibodeau's last job in the NBA. Either he will be, f- either he'll be fired within a year and a half, or he'll coach here for the next like fifteen years, and he won't have to coach anywhere else, and he'll retire and you know be president of operations because it's either gonna go really really good with our roster and make a couple adjustments, or it's gonna blow up in a million pieces. So you know, hope for the best because it is a fun young team to watch. But uh, yeah, good luck, Tibbs. It's uh, little, no pressure at all, no, Not so whatsoever. <laughs>
1: Hey, sis. I tried to get Mike on your on your bandwagon, but he's not fighting today. He's just not budging on that one. I gotta I
0: gotta see the proof in the pudding. You know what I'm saying before I uh, before I crown you all. You know, mayor of Minnesota. <laughs> it's not hard
1: to be mayor of Minnesota with the lack of success they've had. It's true. Like Minnesota, by the way. No, no. But no. Uh, speaking of lack of success, uh, there's reports reports were out that Bill Jackson contacted. Warriors assistant, Luke Walton, for head coaching position. And basically, Walton is not going to beat D'Angelo Russell and snitch on Phil Jackson, because if he does, then he'll be subject to tampering rules. Of the, can't You can't contact, the, I guess, a coach on staff who's actively in the, in the postseason. But uh, Luke Walton and Phil Jackson are friends off the court. So you're telling me that these guys who already have contact with each other off the court didn't speak about this head coaching position? I'm not buying it. But, of course, like I said, the only way you'll find out for sure is if Luke Walton or Phil Jackson says anything about it. And neither of them are going to say anything about it. So, of course, Phil Jackson gets off scot-free and Luke Walton can think about maybe coaching the Knicks next season. Now, I do believe he's probably not... Completely dialed into if he wants to coach the Knicks or not because there are other positions that are probably open once the war is finished because they're probably going to the NBA finals or at least the Western Conference finals. But I don't believe that they haven't discussed anything about the Knicks head coaching job. I mean, come on, you're friends. So he probably mentioned it and said, you know, just keep this under the table.
0: So you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah, basically. They're telling me there's a chance that Luke Walton will be on the sidelines at MSG. Whoo! I don't know if that's a pipe dream or it's just. Uh, the best thing in the world that I can think about right now. But the, the best place for Luke would have been Minnesota. A young coach with a young team. You wouldn't have had to give him anything more than a coaching uh, you know, coaching salary, but obviously that's gone. He's not gonna go to Sacramento because if he does, he needs to have his head checked. Uh, it looks like it looks like Washington's gonna sign Scott Brooks, formerly the head coach of the Thunder. Uh it's the Lakers or the Knicks or it's it, or it's staying Golden State. And I don't really – I don't think that makes any sense because he's a hot commodity. How much more can he do as an assistant coach? There, there's nothing else. So – Go go back home. Go to the go to the Lakers. Do your thing there. If he if he doesn't want to go to the Knicks, but either place is 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 a good option. Not the best because I think again, like I said, Minnesota would have been awesome with with that roster. But uh, yeah, come on. If it's if it's anybody but those two teams that that are in desperate need of a coach, then uh, Bill Walton needs to come give, give him su- his son some advice. Although. Bill thinks that he, his son should stay with the, the Warriors, so maybe that's just one too many uh, Grateful Dead concerts that old Bill there has gone to. But uh, time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, but obviously, as Knicks fans, uh, we're on the uh, Luke Walton. Please, please, please come to the Garden team.
1: It, I'm a little worried because, again, I don't think the Knicks have enough assets that Luke Walton is going to be successful there. And then he's going to have to acquiesce to Bill, Bill Jackson every win. So I don't I don't know. I think the Knicks to go outside of the Phil Jackson circle. I would have loved Mark Jackson coming there. But I just don't think it happened. Uh, Mark Jackson's been linked to the Sacramento Kings shop, as well as Jeff Van Gundy. I actually like Mark Jackson with the Kings. But uh, he'll have his own Curry there. <laughs> Curry's <laughs> brother Seth. And he can kind of build up a nemesis for the Warriors there with some of the parts they have. Maybe get DeMarcus Cousins back on track. Maybe talk some sense into Rondo as a former point guard. Yeah, but we'll we'll see what happens with that. There's a, there's a lot of movement. The plans just started. Jobs are only one major job has been filled. Scott Brooks is leaning toward. They're saying that Scott Brooks is leaning toward the Wizards because the Wizards are leveraging for Kevin Durant to come home. You got his home his hometown, and then you got a former coach. So we'll see what happens there.
0: Pretty nice. A lot of
1: interesting things going.
0: Yeah, but do you, do you really think that we're talking all about these coaching moves and everything because the playoffs have been so poor so far?
1: I believe so. I think we're just kind of passing time for the second round to happen because pretty much, we, I mean, with the exception of maybe one, one series, one or two series, we're pretty much agree that, you know, the favorites are going to win and they're going to be very, very little upsets. In the NBA playoffs, when it's upset, it's, it's major. When the Warriors had that upset over the Mavs, I believe, one year, you remember Dikembe Mutombo. The Nuggets over Seattle Super Science, we, we go crazy because it's not like the NHL. It's not like Major League Baseball. It's not like football where it's one and done. The NBA playoffs is pretty much cut and dry. The better team typically wins the series.
0: So can, so would you like me to tell you uh, what I like to title Mike's Guide to Changing Sports for the Better Now, or do you want me to save it till the end of the show?
1: Uh, give it to me now before we, before we hit into the NFL. Okay,
0: good. All right, Mike's Guide to Making Sports Better. I just changed the title (laughs) again. Uh, the first round of the playoffs, do you remember when they used to be four out of seven? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, that was intriguing. That was fun. That actually gave an eight, like the Denver Nuggets of many years ago, a chance to win the first round. These lower seeds, these lesser teams, basically have no shot in a seven-game series. So, I, the future commissioner of the NBA, have instituted <laughs> one of two policies, and I'm going to let you and the good people of the world decide which. We go back to four of seven. That's the easiest one. We we, we lessen, uh, you know, everything, the time period, why the first round of the playoffs is going to take about two and a half weeks. I don't understand. Uh, or or we use the mercy rule, and this is kind of fun, okay? Oh when a te- Yes, when a team goes up three games to zero – Kabosh! The series is over because really, really, do we need to watch Golden State take the first three games, and then do, if something miraculous happens on the on the side of the Houston Rockets, do we need to watch four more games? No, there's no reason because it's not going to happen. First of all, I get that it's all about TV revenue. It's all about show me the money. But you know what? Let's keep it going. Let's move on. These series are too long and too drawn out, and they're just flat out boring for the most part. So once again, 4 out of 7 or 3-0 mercy rule. You pick. Hit me on Twitter. (laughs) Let me know why I have the keys to making the NBA playoffs better.
1: What, one thing, are
0: you applying this to just the NBA or sports in general? No, I, well, any sport that's played in a series, I definitely think that it just it's, it would be great. Even baseball used to be four out of seven. It's too long. Yes, I mean, baseball, I like the fact that we have the wild card, different story. But the, first, the second round, as they call it now, after the playing game, is still... Best of the seven. It's come on, guys. It's just there, there's not that much parity in basketball. We talked about this all season that that for the most part there's three teams that have a chance. So you're letting more teams in, I get it. And yes, we're creating more money because that's what it's all about. But it doesn't make for a better brand. It doesn't make for more entertaining games. It just makes for us to talk about oh, like, yeah, there goes there goes the Celtics not showing up, and, you know, oh, there, there goes the Hornets not showing up. All it talks about, all it brings is the fact is it's more for us to talk about and more money for other people to be made. So bring it across the board. Baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever it takes.
1: I, I have one gripe, just one. Okay, um, that's fair. I, okay, I, I'm on. I'm on board with maybe. Okay, shorten and say. Okay, the first team to three wins in the first round is good. Yeah, I like that. I'm on board with that mm-hmm. because I, I like that because again, it's too drawn out because in the first round, typically, if you see two, a team up three zero, that team is going to win. Oh yeah. But I will caution you a, a quick history lesson on MLB. <laughs> if you remember the 2004 ALCS, the Yankees were up three zero on the Red Sox, and I believe the Red Sox came back and won that series.
0: You had to go there, really. You yeah, ha- you I, I, had I go. In? I just
1: had to pull that out
0: there. I, it, that sorry. was that was one of the worst experiences of my <laughs> life as a Yankee fan, and you went there. And let me tell you, good sir, why the Yankees lost that lost okay, that ahead. series. Because when we went up three nothing, and the third game, the Yankees scored, if my memory is correct, something like twenty two runs. And the manager at the time, Joe Torre, if I'm correct, or I believe it was let all his starters play the entire game, including Jorge Posada. So the game ran something like four hours, and you left all your starters in to play and score 22 runs, which was not needed. So they were exhausted. And then the next game, they believe the Yankees lost in like the last inning or so, and that was just the downward spiral. So that was poor managing. So that's why that happened. But thank you so much for letting me rehash the worst experience in my sports life you horrible (laughs) co-host
1: yeah i I just had to throw some cold water in that i figured you would love to hear about that as a prime example
0: my goodness i don't even know who you are anymore i'm
1: I'm trying to i'm trying to charge you up for the show mike mike didn't take this Red Bull this morning
0: so i'm trying to really
1: you know just inject some energy into the rest of the show because it might be a long show yeah
0: good job thanks
1: (laughs) so i think mission accomplished there but uh there's some NFL news that we'll talk about, and plus, I don't want to get Mike any more hot on this subject, but there's some NFL news to talk about. The Browns, the Eagles, and the Panthers are shaking up draft boards, and that's up next.
0: Open mic. Teams in the NFL don't have one starting quarterback, i.e., the Jets and the Broncos. There's a team in Philadelphia that wants to have three, and they want to pay them all close to $20 million. Mo, why don't you give the, uh, the audience here a little education on what transpired the other day that possibly shook up the upcoming draft in a way that we haven't seen in quite some time.
1: Well, last week we spoke about the Los Angeles Rams and the Titans trade, where the Rams basically traded away half of California for the Titans' number one pick. Well, the Eagles decided to trade away half of Philadelphia for the second <laughs> overall pick with the Browns. So as it goes, Hugh Jackson feels as if Jared Goff is going to be the pick for the Rams. And he really likes Jared Goff more than Carson Wentz. So he said, okay, if the Rams are going to take Jared Goff, I don't want Carson Wentz. I can trade back. The Eagles, on the other hand, Harry Roseman, the VP over there, he loves himself from Carson Wentz. But he took it upon himself to say, okay, we're going to trade up and get this guy to be our franchise quarterback, potentially. Obviously, he doesn't have that much faith in Sam Bradford long-term. Now, Bleacher Report's Jason Cole said Sam Bradford didn't take too kindly to this, and basically, he was themed about it, and he may try to maneuver his way out of Philadelphia, which is insane, because he'll have to take a pay cut if he goes to another team, because no other team is going to pay him that much money, half, eighteen million $18 million a year. But anyway... The Eagles move up now, and two quarterbacks are probably going to go one and two, and Sam Bradford supposedly is going to be the starter. According to to Roseman, he says that Sam Bradford is still the starter, but Bradford wants a long-term type of deal. I mean, he only signed a two-year deal, but he wants to be looked at as a long-term answer, and that's obviously not the case in Philadelphia. As I mentioned, he'll probably try to get his way out maybe after a year, maybe before the draft. We'll see. But um, if you're a team like the Broncos or the Jets, as you mentioned, I think I'd take a chance on Sam Bradford. If you think about it, he's a better alternative than Ryan Fitzpatrick, who maybe has one, two years left in his career. Sam Bradford is probably 28 years of age. He has a 60% throwing accuracy for his career. He's never thrown more interceptions than touchdowns in a season. Yeah, he's only played two full seasons out of five years, and he sat out 2014. But when he's fairly healthy, he's, pretty, he's a pretty decent quarterback. I think the Jets should explore that. But if Bradford takes a pay cut and it's not with the Jets, it will affect Fitzpatrick's asking price because, obviously, he's modeling his negotiations after what Sam Bradford got. So if Sam Bradford takes a pay cut, expect Fitzpatrick's asking price to come down a bit. But, again, we'll see. The Browns will probably draft an an edge rusher, a wide receiver, an offensive tackle to protect RG3. I would go with DeForest Buckner, Shaq Lawson, or Ronnie Stanley as a first-round pick. Then go, to, then go with Josh Dox and Michael Thomas or Sterling Shepard at wide receiver in the second round. Now, I know that was a mouthful. That's a lot to digest. But basically, you have the Eagles taking the quarterback and the Browns building around RG3. But I still think they could take a quarterback. The Browns may still take a quarterback like Connor Cook or Dak Prescott in the second or third round.
0: Okay, here's here's my here's my understanding <laughs> from what transpired and why the jets or the broncos should trade for bradford because since he's on the roster and you know we've started uh I guess mini camps or whatever you want to call them, uh, practices, voluntary, involuntary, whatever they are, uh, they've already paid half of his bonus for the year. So basically, if one of these teams trade for Bradford, it's only going to cost them seven million dollars for the season because of the fact that they already paid half of his uh, half of his bonus. So that's actually the same amount of money that the Jets wanted to give to Fitzpatrick so why would you not want to give it to a guy who you know on paper is a better quarterback if he stays healthy has a better arm just you know and obviously I'm not even going to go there with Mark Sanchez so it makes it makes it makes too much sense and so that's probably why it won't happen because you know the Jets are the Jets but back to back to your point about you know the Eagles it look we've seen we've seen the way it goes now in the NFL you draft a big-time quarterback you play him. You know, the days of sitting a guy for one, two, three, four years like Aaron Rodgers did behind Brett Favre are gone. Andrew Luck started right away. Bortles started You know the second half of his rookie season. So uh, what happens if Bradford leads you to the Super Bowl? You, I mean, I understand his value is going to be high, but you have to get rid of him. So you, you should trade Bradford because, they, like I just said, you gave you gave uh, Chase Daniel a ton of money. You gave uh, your starting quarterback a ton of money. Now you're going to have to give your second-round pick a ton of money. And from what I understood, they didn't have a ton of money available in cap space, so they're going to have to rework that no matter who you draft at the number two spot is going was going to get paid more than the eighth spot. So my question to you, Mo, being that you're the NFL guru, is that <laughs> – Let's say they draft Carson Wentz. And I, I, I am on the record as saying I like Carson Wentz more than golf. You love Carson Wentz. Oh, I love Carson. I love yeah, me Carson. some ginger. Yes. So yes. if you take Carson Wentz and you traded the overall second pick and we don't know what he's going to be. If I said to you that in eight years from now, Carson Wentz is Tony Romo, was it worth giving up the farm for that pick?
1: Absolutely, because that means you're probably winning divisions. If the Cowboys are a healthy team and Romo is healthy, the Cowboys, obviously, when they were healthy two years ago, not not, not last year, but two years ago, they won a division at 12-4. Romo is a pretty damn good quarterback. It's just the Cowboys couldn't get their defense their defensive back together, and they had players that were in the spotlight and getting suspended, as they do now. But with Romo as your centerpiece at quarterback, I take it in a heartbeat at number
0: two. Okay, and what about if that? What if I said that Carson Wentz is the next Andy Dalton? Does that still work for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little questionable. And my thing to you to that point is, you just gave me this spiel about how Romo is, you know, led you know playoffs this and that. I understand all that. So you're okay with giving up a lot of draft picks to win the division and go no further? Because that's, that's what Romo has done.
1: See, that's the thing, though. If you, if you think about it, let's break it down, right? The Eagles have a better defense than the Cowboys. I feel like the Eagles have a better defense than the Cowboys had when they started to bring Romo out as the quarterback. So they're not starting from, like, complete scratch. They're not the Cleveland Browns. If you're if the it, if Cleveland Browns and you're like, okay, we need to draft up, your quarterback better be fantastic. But I think the Eagles just need a decent quarterback to get by. Again, they brought in Jim Schwartz to to rework that defense. They let go of Byron Russell. They do have some draft picks this year. They did give up. They swapped four-round picks in this deal. I know you said, you know, we're past the times of a quarterback sitting, but I think that was the plan in mind, to sign Bradford, secure him for two years for the short term, and then draft a quarterback and let him sit for at least a year, maybe two, yeah, best-case scenario. Now, let's say Sam Bradford doesn't get in out and they don't trade him, they keep him, and they say, okay, you start. If he plays well, then he can get a better contract somewhere else, maybe. can get a better spot somewhere play, playing for whoever next season because every year, you know, a team needs a quarterback. So if Sam Bradford shows that he is what he thinks he is, a team is going to trade for him at a good price, and they'll get some probably some good draft picks back for him. But again, if, 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 if to your example, if, he's, if Carson Lance is Dalton, eh, I'll take Dalton last year before he got hurt. If he was Dalton of last year before he got hurt, it's still a pretty good move because Dalton last year was better than Sam Bradford last
0: year. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was. But the biggest reason I still don't like the trade is because, yes, you proved the point that the Eagles do have a pretty good defense. But by drafting a quarterback, you're saying that there's going to be another transition with this organization, with this team, whether it's this year, next year, or the year after. So mm-hmm. you're neglecting the fact that Ryan Matthews is not an every-down back, mostly because he can't stay healthy. And you're right. neg- you're neg- neglecting the fact that Jordan Matthews, who where he has all the talent in the world, can't seem to catch the ball m- enough to be a number-one wide receiver. So you've got... One wide receiver, you've got one running back, they're like half of a person mostly, and you've got three quarterbacks. So there's just a deficiency there in overall what a team needs to get to the next level. I don't think that that's enough to win that division. Not with the Giants, who should be better. Not with Kirk Cousins and company in Washington, who should be better. Kirk Cous- yeah I, li- I like Kirk Cousins if you're talking Connor Cook Connor Cook is Kirk Cousins just FYI for everybody out there I don't I just don't think it's enough for for this team to succeed in in that really competitive division I could be wrong uh maybe eight and eight will get you back into the playoffs I highly doubt it but uh yeah I just think there's more that the Eagles could do and and I talked to my best friend who you know I, I had to call him and just be like hey Gary uh how do you feel as an Eagle fan? You grew up in Philly. He's I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So that's that's the understanding of the Philadelphia Eagles nation because it was it's a questionable year to give up a lot for for people and quarterbacks that are questionable. You know they're just guys that aren't Jameis Winston, aren't Marcus Mariota, don't have that pedigree, haven't led their their teams to a college. Uh, you know bowl game or a college uh, national championship so i can't wait to see how this goes but i'm sure it'll be ugly but let's do one and take real quick
1: i i did acknowledge that they need help at running back sure but i also said that this draft is deep in the second and third round that i think they'll get a running back whether it's shanathan williams paul perkins jordan howard Kenneth dixon or devontae booker they'll get a running back to help out ryan matthews as you said because he has a problem just staying healthy and staying on the field but you know, it, it, in the NFL, in this, in today's landscape of the NFL, it, it's like if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going anywhere. So I'd rather, I'd rather compete with the Giants and the Cowboys for the division title, even though they may not win it, they may squeak by with a wild card. Who knows? But I'd rather compete with a quarterback that I think could be a franchise quarterback than know that I'm settling for a stock gap at San Bradford for two years. It, it just, I don't. I, again, I'm not in love with the move, but I don't hate the move either because. They obviously feel strongly about Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. The consensus is that both these guys are franchise quarterbacks. I'm more of the ill thinking that Jared Goff is a franchise quarterback and Carson Wentz could be eh. You gave a very good comparison that he could be Andy Dalton. I think that's a very good comparison. Some people have compared him to Steve McNair. Uh, You know, I can kind of see that because he's athletic and he has a big arm. Some people have compared him to Blake Bortles. I don't think he's on that level. I don't think he's Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota. Again, he's only had two years in the FCS, and you know the talent is going to be a huge jump for him. So him learning that first first year or first two years is going to be very important. And I think the Eagles thought about that, but they also felt like, hey, if we feel like he's a, he's a franchise quarterback, let's grab him now, than to go through another season with a guy we are, we don't really have any real faith in, because you don't know what the literal quarterbacks are going to be next
0: off season. So the lesson today is do not trade the farm for quarterbacks that could be Alex Smith and or Andy Dalton.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you just, you got to be really careful about this, and I, I hope the Eagles scouts have done their due diligence because if this is a miss, it's going to set the franchise back so far, especially if they wind up trading Sam Bradford and then up will left with no quarterback.
0: Yeah, Chip Kelly's looking pretty smart in San Francisco right about now.
1: Yeah, and he he is. And speaking of Chip Kelly, his team is actually a front runner for new free agent cornerback Josh Norman, who the Carolina Panthers rescinded his friend his franchise tag yesterday. Surprising or just shocking the whole NFL landscape. People were just like, "Whoa, what is this about?" <laughs> and basically, the GM said he he felt like there's no long term deal to be had there, and basically decided to just cut ties. What baffles me is that they didn't keep this on the hush and at least try to trade him or something or maybe you know have him play out the season on his franchise tag get one more good year out of him i mean he is 29 years old so i understand you, you may not want to wrap him up for four or five years because you may think he only has two three more good years in him but uh he's he's hitting the free agent market and they're gonna be a bunch of suitors before you get into who may court him i don't see reports have before that as a front runner as i said I don't see that happening only because Chip Kelly, as reports have it, had a problem with big personalities in Philadelphia. Got rid of Deshaun Jackson, got rid of Jeremy Macklin, got rid of LaShawn McCoy. Josh Norman is a big personality. After, I mean, while the Panthers were on their run before they lost the game in the season, he was on ESPN. He's in front of TV. He's, you know, he's having battles with Odell Beckham. He's a big personality. I would categorize him as a huge personality. And I know I said this. He had a post-game interview that was very Richard Sherman-likely. He's screaming into the mic. So I don't think that goes well. Chip Kelly and Josh Norman, I just don't see that marriage happening. He already had big personalities in the front office. Chip Kelly's not going to fit well with big personalities in the locker room. I would love to see Josh Norman on the Steelers, but they only have $3.4 in cap space. The Jaguars could probably get themselves over the hump and contend in the AFC South, maybe maybe a wild card, I'll say. Because I have the Texans within that division, but that's another story. But the Jaguars have 54 million to spend. Why not spend it on a, on a shutdown cornerback for against the next two, three years? I also a sneaky team, the Titans, who have Dick LeBeau and Ray Orton running their defensive scheme. They had a really good pass defense last year. You get Josh Norman in there, and that, that pass defense will be lights out. Now, the Eagles, who we just spoke about, will also be a good spot for Josh Norman, but they only have 11 million cap space. I just have a personal preference for him there because I want to see him and Odell Beckham in an MMA street fight. <laughs> Twice a year, in the Meadowlands and in Philly. I want to see it, but it probably won't happen. But what's your opinion on that,
0: Mike? Well, you know my opinion. I'm gonna take the uh, the 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 path lesser traveled. My, <laughs> the thing with the thing with with Josh Norman is that. He's only been playing four years, and before this past season, everybody thought he was never going to live up to, you know, the hype that surrounded him. And I get that he had a fantastic year. He was a pro bowler, okay? He had 19 pass deflections. He still only had four interceptions, all right? So this isn't a guy that was Darrell Reeves when Darrell Reeves was with the Jets the first time around, okay? I mean, the year before, he had two picks and 11 deflections and in, in the year before that he only played seven games and had zero of both and in his rookie year had one pick and seven deflections so looking back on the career as a whole I do not think that this is a man that should get more money than Darrell Rivas earns which by the way he gets 70 mil with 30 mil 39 guaranteed and that is supposedly according to reports what he wants he wants wants to be the highest paid corner in the game but I mean, I understand why, because it's Mo Money, Mo Buckets, and that's the way we play the game. But I don't understand how anybody can really legitimately say, yeah, okay, he, he deserves it. No, not yet. He had one big year. Still, I, I I put this hashtag only for picks. So I just, I don't think it's there. I don't I don't think that he's worth it. Yes, he should cash in his chips because it's time. But I think any team that... that kind of cuts the guy or squeezes him in just to squeeze him in it doesn't necessarily make sense san francisco they're not a good team they're not going anywhere maybe if baltimore baltimore can make it happen they only have 12 and a half million they'd have to release somebody that that might make a little more sense if carolina can kind of figure something out and decide that he is integral to what they're trying to do that makes sense the jets would have to cut revis that doesn't make sense I, so i don't i just think that there's i think there's less places that he'll go than uh, than what the report is is seven to nine teams that are interested sure everybody's going to be interested but where is he going to go he was going to get 14 million from uh from his cap what which what he was going to sign the tender and he didn't sign so he's going to want 16 17 million dollars and it's a lot of money Especially when there's Big time corners On the board Jalen Ramsey Who would you rather have Jalen Ramsey At a rookie salary Or this guy Getting paid the most In the entire NFL I, I go with Jalen Ramsey
1: I, I'm with you on that it, You know It's funny you mentioned it Because they say They said is- during the season, that he's not a man-cover guy. No. So if you want to shut down a receiver, he's not going to follow the receiver all over the field. He basically shades one side of the field, but he doesn't really move man-to-man press coverage. I don't I don't put him up there with Richard Sherman. I don't put him up there with Patrick Peterson at all. But, you know, kudos to him because he's trying to strike it while it's hot. I mean, his team went on an unbelievable run, and he was the face of that pass defense as a shutdown guy. So he's just trying to cash in on... On what he did last season, and again, I don't, again, I don't put him up there with with Sherman and those guys. as one of the best, is a top paid cornerback in the league, but some team is gonna is gonna put together the cash to bring him in for I believe probably sixteen million, or maybe they'll give him fifteen million with some incentives in there. But I just don't see him uh, signing with the front runner as, so to say, the 49ers. Why would you want to go from a Super Bowl contender to a bottom-feeder in the NFC West? Just It's just not going to happen. Doesn't he's going to go sense. to a team where their pockets are pretty much loaded and they have the space to, take to roll the dice on him and basically get two three good years out of him.
0: Could that team be Arizona?
1: I thought you know I thought about that because Tyron Matthew is is pretty short. I believe he's about 5'9", five, 5'10". So he's better in the slot than playing on the perimeter. Josh Norman on the other side of Patrick Peterson, that would be an awesome combination. Cardinals already picked up a pass rusher, Chandler Jones from the Patriots. They could make another move and sign this guy. If they do, I can't be mad at him because, as we'll touch on next, Larry Fitzgerald is considering retirement, and he actually told ArizonaSports.com that he is actually not interested in venturing on the season with a new quarterback. Basically, his future is tied to Carson Palmer. And if the Arizona Cardinals wind up winning the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 51 in Houston, expect Larry Fitzgerald to retire. Now, again, he also said he's not looking for another situation after Carson Palmer. So after Carson Palmer leaves, you can pretty much seal the deal with Larry Fitzgerald. Carson Palmer will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2017 season, I believe. So there's two more years there. You know, if unless, again, if the Cardinals win the Super Bowl, though, I think he's pretty much done. I feel I feel good and feel bad for Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald is, is a one of a kind talent and he just had some bad quarterbacking. I mean, pre Kurt Warner he had Josh McCown and Matt Liner. Post Kurt Warner he had Kevin Cobb and Drew Stanton. This is before this is again, this is in between or after Kurt Warner saved the day, brought that team to a Super Bowl. They did lose to the Steelers in a close game. And and now they're back on top with Carson Palmer after they acquired him from from I believe the Raiders after Carson Palmer sat out and Kind of forced his way out of Cincinnati. Went to the Raiders. Didn't do too well. Didn't do too well. Got to the Cardinals, and now they're back in the playoffs. Had a great season last year. They bowed out to the Carolina Panthers, who are now losing their shutdown quarterback. And if you think about this, the Cardinals have three great wide receivers there. Those guys, they they turn up the film. Michael Floyd, Eric Fitzgerald, and I believe John Brown there. So that trio, if they play the Carolina Panthers again today without Josh Norman, I believe they win that matchup. Now, you suggested maybe Josh Newman goes to the Cardinals. That would be a crazy development because I believe then the score flips. The Panthers killed killed the Cardinals in the postseason last year. Well, this year. I believe that they meet again in the postseason next year that it's, it's the Cardinals that come on top and go to the Super Bowl. But we'll see. We'll see what Fitzgerald does. Again, if it's a Super Bowl matchup and they win, he rides off into the sunset like Peyton Manning.
0: Fitz, is a smart enough guy. He knows he doesn't probably have much left in the tank. And you saw last year in that second half, he really curtailed off I me. Mean, he was on fire. He was leading my fantasy team in points that I, I like I've never seen before. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's a slot receiver now. He just doesn't have that breakaway speed. So uh, it'll be it'll be good to see how many more years Carson Palmer is left. I would say two, three max. I don't know if you've got that much left in Fitzgerald. Uh, obviously, a wide receivers a lot more vulnerable than a quarterback and but again, time will tell. Uh, like you said, I think if uh, I think if they can finally win the big one, maybe uh, maybe the both of them will ride off into the sunset, and all that will do is leave uh, leave that Arizona team lacking in a couple positions. Although you know the kids, the kids Stanton under centers not a bad backup, not a bad backup at all.
1: We'll take a break, and we'll get back to some baseball, and we'll talk about some uh, some more crotchety old men, just giving their their analysis on baseball and a shady character in the MLB world actually getting the boot from ESPN. That's
0: up next. It's now time for Building Momentum.
1: If we don't have enough crotchety old people in the baseball world, uh, I well, okay, I'll say this. I understand Vince Kelly is respected, but he's acting like a crotchety old man here. Ryan Howard passed Joe DiMaggio, eighty-one in the all-time home run list, and he he did. He just took a shot at Ryan Howard, and I, I saw it as uncalled for. Mike may have a different opinion, but again, Vince Kelly, he's respected, Dodgers broadcaster, very respected. But the guy took an unwarranted shot at Ryan Howard. I, I don't think it was called for. The guy's on a home run list, and then you just shut him down. That's basically like you winning an employee of the month award, and then your boss says, "Well, you you stunk for the last five months, but good job on that."
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why Vince Scully took a shot at Ryan Howard. I don't know if there's something in their histories that that you know these two threw, threw down on the parking lot many years ago. I mean, Vince Scully is 88 years old. And, and let me tell you, this guy is sharp. If you ever listen to a Dodgers game... I personally would let this guy read my read the phone book and I would listen to him because he's so eloquent and he knows so much. He knows more about the game than people will forget. I mean, this guy just—he's an encyclopedia of baseball. He's sixty-seven years. He's been he's been broadcasting the Dodger games by himself, but with no one to retort, no one to go back and forth with since they were in Brooklyn. So yes, he's a legend. Again, not really sure why he took a shot. We all know, well, anybody that knows baseball knows that. Ron Ryan Howard is not Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio is is on the New York Yankees, Mount Rushmore, of all-time great players, the Yankee Clipper. There's no comparison. But, you know, I would love to know more about this story. I mean, he just really – he did. He just took a, a big swipe at this guy, and look, it's different eras. Joe DiMaggio never made anywhere near the type of money that Ryan Howard has made in his life. I mean, the guy signed a hundred and twenty-five million dollar extension a couple years ago. He's he's an overpaid guy. He didn't live up to to what the way he came up uh, years ago when he won that MVP, and then there was rumors he, they were going to trade him straight up for Albert Pujols. So he didn't live up to the fact. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Scully because he's just the man. And um, I, but again, I would like to know more why he attacked this. guy. Why you attacked Ryan Howard and you know just basically threw him under the bus as far as being an overpaid bum? Uh, I'm, uh, it's pretty funny, but it's you know maybe it's maybe it wasn't the best thing to do. Uh, but again, when you're Vince Scully and you're basically mayor of Dodger Town, I guess you can say whatever the heck you want.
1: Pretty much, and they, you know what they say old people could just say whatever's on their mind. It's either funny or you just go along with it because they got all this life experience and you just let it rock. But yeah. be honest, Mike, you you're on you're on Vince Scully's side because he's. He's caping for your guy, DiMaggio, who's the Yankee Clipper, and pointing oh, yeah. out strikeouts. I mean, was this the time to point out, oh, 1,738 strikeouts to 369 strikeouts? It's just, I mean, yes, it's a fact. But, you know, right fact, wrong time. Not the place to do it.
0: Sure, sure. I, you know, and Vin was, was born in, in the Bronx. Shout out to the Bronx, where I was born as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's really questionable. It's, it's really funny. Uh, but he's eighty-eight and he's sharp. It's not like you know he's sickly. It's not like he has dementia. So I'm just kind of curious as to as to why. I just don't. I don't get it. But you know what. Hey, Vin, you do you, man. I mean, this is probably his last season, so, uh, you know, he's going out Kobe style. You know, he's just doing big thing, dropping the mic, you know, hashtag Vin Scully out. It's, it's, uh, it's great. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, a lot of savagery going, on around, going around sports entertainment these days. Oh, yeah. uh, speaking of off-the-wall comments, Kurt Schilling had something to say on social media. He commented on a picture of basically a guy dressed in drag. And a message saying, let him into the restroom with your daughter, or else you're a narrow-minded, judgmental, unloving racist bigot who needs to die. And then he he basically retweeted or shared the photo with the comment, with his own comment, and said, A man is a man, no matter what they call themselves. I don't care what they are, who they sleep with, men's room was designed for the penis. Women's, not so much. Now you need laws telling us differently? Pathetic. Now, ESPN... Obviously, took the high road and said we can't have this. Schilling has been the subject of a lot of off the wall comments on social media. I believe his daughter was on the other end where she was bullied, but that's a different story. But ESPN decided to cut ties with Kurt Schilling. Finally, a lot of people rejoice because they feel like Kurt Schilling is basically a dirtbag, which is a bit strong. But uh, ESPN felt it was too much, and it, they're trying to be inclusive and they're trying to you know appear at least tolerant of the LGBT lgbt community so kirk is gonna be finding a new job somewhere and we'll see where he ends up i guarantee he gets another job because again he was he was a great pitcher and you know as far as his job as an analyst he did a good job but people just don't care for his off-the-wall comments on social media
0: espn gave this guy a mile of rope to hang himself and he finally did i mean last yeah. year he compared muslims to nazis and this year mm-hmm. he talked about that about hillary clinton I just, I just don't understand, people, when you have you have such a platform to speak on and you have such an opportunity and a wonderful job, why you have to make it bigger than what it is. You're talking about baseball. You're not talking about Stephen Hawking and finding the, the meaning of life and, you know, planets, galaxies, and light years away. You're talking sports. He did a great interview with Matt Harvey a couple weeks ago. That's what you're good at, man. You're not – getting paid to talk about transgender you're not donald trump running for president in the united (laughs) states like just keep it 100 keep it what you do i people just drive me absolutely crazy and i've never Let's, let me rephrase this I was not a Curt Schilling fan When he played baseball Because his best years Were as a Red Sox And obviously we know What I'm a fan of And he was also A member of that team That Arizona Diamondback team That beat the New York Yankees In the 2001 World Series So I've never been a fan But I respected him Because he knew What he was talking about And he even says Well with my company And by the way He had a uh, He had a video game company That had filed for bankruptcy A couple years ago He says Oh I employed transgender people okay i get the fact that it's a free country and it's freedom of speech and it's this or that but you just can't i don't care how you feel there's certain things you can't say young people listen to you you're 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 changing people's perspective you're molding young minds and you just can't say these negative biased opinions and that's what they really are sports man you're talking sports keep it simple stupid
1: I mean, say it, Mike. Say, say, say you hate Kurt Schilling because he's a Yankee killer. No, no,
0: I hated him when he was a pitcher because yes, he killed my Yankees. I don't know the man from Adam. I don't agree with <laughs> what he believes in. I don't agree with his politics. That's fine, but it's just it's dumb when he talks about things that he just shouldn't on on his platform if he wants to talk about him with his friends and i even get that he wants to talk about it on his social media it's his wall but dude you're not joe schmo from you know lincoln iowa like you're you're kurt schilling world series winner you're employed by espn you have to be better than that it's just it's just a matter of fact you have to and if you if you don't want to be nobody's making you you're getting paid quit your job but you can't have it both ways it's just you just can't it's just the way of the world man it's just the way it is
1: Yeah, which leads me to a more serious question. Do you think employers, you know, have a right to just wade through their employees' social media accounts and just kind of... I guess, fire them based on what they say on social media. Yeah. It's kind of their own personal thoughts.
0: Unfortunately, it's the new world we live in. It's the new regime. Anything you post on social media is for public consumption. You're, and you are, you're a part of that brand. You are, you know, you're, you're an extension of it. So whatever you say, if it hurts the company and it hurts the bottom line and it hurts them making money, yeah, you're gonna get fired, and you, you have to know that. I'm sure when you sign something to work at ESPN or Burger King or wherever it is, that you can't say things that put company in a negative light. It's just the way it is because a company doesn't doesn't they don't express those views, especially the Walt Disney Company and ESPN, because that's who you know is owns ESPN. They're not gonna they're never gonna side with you. So you should be he should have been smart enough to realize, hmm, who's my employer? it's not, it's not the Kurt Chilling podcast that, you know, anybody can get on. It's just, it's not. And if he wants to do that, then do that. I'm sure he'll find an audience for that, but not, it's just not the time or the place.
1: Yeah. You're absolutely right on that. And I tell people this all the time. I feel like an old man lecturing kids or my own kids. And I tell people this all the time. Why should you put on Facebook? Because just because your Facebook profile is private does not mean employees can get in and see what you post. Yeah. People don't get it though. You you want if you want to go out and party and, and drink to to your drunk and passed out on a sidewalk fine but don't post the pictures don't post the video on Facebook because as you said you are a representative whether you're on the clock or off the clock of of a company they're trusting they're trusting you to represent their company well at all times whether you are in uniform in the building or outside with your friends if if especially if you're a high profile person. If you're, if you're working for ESPN, you have to be on high alert. If you're working for any one of these media companies or any company with a huge profile, you have to be aware of what you're doing, who you're associated with, and who's around you. Because, again, you are a representative. You are an extension of what they represent. And if you do something as what he did, speaking out negatively against a community, they're gonna denounce it and they have the right to fire you. And I'm, I'm guessing a lot of these employers have these things and stipulations in their contracts where they, they tell you about social media. I've had jobs where I've read the front of the print and they, they actually address this. If you're on social media and you say something or do something that we don't approve of, you can be fined, suspended, or or terminated. And that's what happened to Kurt Schilling. And as you said before this. This is not the first time Schilling has been in controversial talks about what he's saying on social media amongst other people. He's done this before. He knows he knows the drill. And he continues to do it. He continues to go on social media and share these comments that are going to
0: obviously draw comment. You are a public figure. You cannot do this. And he paid, he paid the price. And I don't feel sorry for him. He's a lightning rod for attention. He obviously likes the attention regardless of what he'll tell you. I mean, he didn't he didn't back down from his comments. He didn't apologize for his comments. He wants to disturb, you know, the duty. That's what he likes to do. He likes to kick it up. And uh, that's fine. That's that's everybody can basically do what they want. It's a free country, but you have to pay the consequences and, you know, hopefully you know, the man, the man learns. I mean, he's, he's been sickly in the past couple of years. He's had skin cancer multiple times. And, you know, you think somebody that has been given multiple chances in life and multiple chances to work through these, these issues would, would just, would, would take a different outlook. But uh, maybe this will be the certain circumstance that kind of leads him to, to an open mind and a little bit better understanding of, of worldly views and not just his own.
1: Yeah, I mean, I respect his fight against cancer, but Kurt, you, you gotta do better in the face of the public. You just have to. I understand people say oh, I don't care public things, or whatever, but you just have to set a better example. Hopefully, he learns from this, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll we'll address the wrap up. And usually, I'm a guy that says more money, more buckets. But in this case, I'm saying less money, more school, or maybe doing both. More money, more buckets, and more school. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that next in the wrap up. <laughs> This
0: is The Wrap-Up. Well, this past year, Jalil Okafor, formerly of Duke University and now for the lowly Philadelphia 76ers, was in the news for all the wrong reasons, whether it was for fights or... Potentially harming people at a nightclub. Well, we're glad to report Mikey Moe that he's finally in the news for the right reasons. My man Jalil is going back to school. Now he did leave after only his freshman year at Duke University, one of the most you know, illustrious blah 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 Duke University education stuff in America. Um but you know what? Good for him. He does obviously gonna have at least three more years. We're not sure exactly what courses he's taking or what his major might be, so that's still up in the air. you gotta give credit when credit is due this young man had a bunch of issues off court this year he played on a really bad team and maybe this is exactly what you know a a guy who kind of lost his way his rookie season needs he needs to go back to where he was comfortable where people are respected and adored him and he can get back in the classroom and he can exercise his mind because that really wasn't being used a whole lot this year. His mind kind of took a vacation. So you know what? Good for you, Jalil. Hopefully you get right, get that education, stay on the right track. And for a guy in my co-host that usually all about them um, more money, more buckets. I uh, you kind of mo, you kind of taking an, an opposite stance on this.
1: Yeah, I'm saying hey, he he could have went out and he could have did appearances and made some more money in all season off of his you know rookie year because he is a well known figure now in Philadelphia and around the NBA as, as a great rookie talent. But he decided to go back to school, you know, work on his academics. And I feel something that's understanding this is that he's going to be back with Coach K, who will probably put him under his arm and say, hey, kid, what are you, you know, not what are you doing with all of these fights and, you know, TMZ a over the place, but just kind of talk to him and say, hey, it's okay. I understand you lost the most amount of games you probably lost in your entire life because you went to Duke, you won there, and all of this stuff to this point. He's gonna to try to calm him down and say, just talk to him, just you know, put his arm over him and say, hey, it's gonna be okay, you'll be fine, just work it out, even if you don't wanna stay in the dumpster fire that is Philly. I know they did change around their organizational structure, but just work it out. You know, come back to school, get your get your mind right, go back to the pros and do your thing. You still make your money, you're under contract, but you know, you gotta have some balance. You know, it's not all about more money, more buckets at all times. I know that's weird coming out of my mouth, but academics does play a role. I mean, I did graduate from St. John's University. I just wasn't out here making money all my life. It, It was about academics. There is a foundation. There is a basis there that we all need. And I'm not saying we all need to go to school. But we all need that foundation to keep us on the right track, whether it's school, whether it's family, friends, environment. We all need that something to lean on when things aren't going right. Because at certain points in our life, we're all going to need someone or something to lean on. And I feel like at this point, with your little uncle four and his rough season with the Sixers and all he's been through with the media, he needs, as you said, kind of like a safe zone, a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. He's got Coach K there, his school where he's graduated from. And it's gonna, I think you're going to see a different player off the court Next season A different player On the court Maybe a more Mindful, heavy play You're used to seeing
0: Yeah, it's super important And you don't see Many guys doing that So, you know I just I think it's a great thing Because he did have all these 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 problems this past year and and now if he continues to be to continue to take classes and we can do it online in the day and age that we're in instead of going out to the club and getting in trouble man when you're not at the court you're you're wherever you are taking class you're on the computer you're on the 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 plane the bus like that's a better usage of your time getting educated getting right imploring others to to do likewise to just make people make themselves better be a better citizen of the world that's really what it's all about you don't need to go to the club and and jeopardize everything you've worked for and everything that people have put in you through all these years because you know people are, are trying to cause trouble i mean he just reacted that that one night in philly and it's understandable to a certain extent it's understandable but there's so much more so much better things that he could do and like you said it doesn't have to be school it could be anything that sheds positive light on all the issues that we as people of this planet need to kind of come to grips with so if this is what is going to get him on the right track all for it hopefully more people can kind of uh can kind of learn from this and, and just take one step in front of the other and, and just be just be better and that's really what it's about And i think today that's that's what we're learning just be better whether you're kurt Schilling or vin scully or whoever might have an issue right now just be a better human being to yourself and everybody out there
1: actually okafor has a pretty decent he has a pretty good background his dad has a master's degree his aunt has a phd so you can kind of see where it comes from sure it's not dumb jock he has a he has a family background that's that's grounded and they have an, an academic background. Even guys like John in the NBA like John Wall, Carl Anthony Towns, Jabari Parker, they all had high GPAs in college. people don't realize yeah, these are good upcoming players or, or all stars, but they were also pretty smart in school. Barry Fitzgerald, who we spoke about earlier, took online classes out. I don't know if you saw the commercial. But he was taking online classes, I believe, at Phoenix or something like that while he was playing in the NFL. So that's something to, you know, to, to look at as an example. We see all these poor examples, the Johnny Manziels of the world parting it up. What about the good examples, like Larry Fitzgerald, who, who I guess you can say does it the right way, where he's not out there putting himself out there in a negative light and doing the right thing and going to school and taking care of what he has to take care of. So again, these players are not just, just dumb athletes that just use their, their athleticism to make money they actually have some foundation and it's just good to see and refreshing especially for a guy that you look up for after his rough rookie season
0: absolutely we need more positivity we need more role models we just need we need more of, of a lot of good in this world uh, right. moving on you know to the rest of 2016 and and you know from here on out as a nation so that is episode 10 before we sign off Mo is there anything else that you need to tell us anything in your world that's going on?
1: Uh, well, one last rest in peace to Prince. Absolutely. For, for those uh, people who watched WWF back in the day, I don't watch it too much now, but I watched it growing up. Rest in peace to China. Mm-hmm. She passed away early this morning. And rest in peace to a childhood friend that I grew up with. Uh, I hate to believe in cliches about death coming in threes, but it just happened so quickly within the 12-hour period. And it, it's just a reminder that stay close to your loved ones, you know, Enjoy life, choose happiness, let go of the the frivolous beef or whatever you have or issues or people you're not talking to, because it can come so quick. All these people that died today were under the age of 60. So, yes, we have medicines. We have all this stuff that helps us live longer, cope with diseases and stuff like that, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to live to be 80. I just turned 30 a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And, and you know, if my life ends at 60, knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't, but I've already lived half my life. Yeah. So we all need to understand, just put everything in perspective one day at a time, you know, let people live, love, and again, keep your loved ones close to
0: you. No, it's, it's a great message. And for, and for the people out there, as I like to call them, the haters, there's always the people that are going to gonna take this and say oh you weren't a prince fan and and people die all the time and there was an earthquake in indonesia and yes no no one life is greater than another but certain people live their life a different way they live it in in the spotlight and they live it yes people say oh well they they got millions of dollars and they were celebrity and you know what they get what they get but you know what? These people bear their soul, and and more importantly, they inspire. They inspire a generation of future artists, musicians, free thinkers, free people. They just inspire greatness. Whether you like them or you don't, or how you feel about them in a positive or negative, they they did something with their life where they just they 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 wanted to be bigger. Than than really they had set out for initially, so you have to respect that, and not that it, not that we saying you know Prince Prince's death is any bigger than another, but it obviously inspired me. You know, it inspired a nation of, of athletes because otherwise he wouldn't have been at Super Bowl forty one, and and hundreds of thousands of people wouldn't have watched. So, so please, if you're one of those people that wants to post something negative, think before you do it, because even if it didn't affect you, and and you're you're so quick to judge, don't. Do not cast a first stone, okay? One person's death may not mean anything to you, but it may mean something to someone else. And just just let it be. You know, we can all be respectful of that. We mourn the dead uh, the, the dead in our own way, and there's nothing wrong with that. So just, if you have nothing nice to say, it's cliche, but don't say anything at all, okay? It's, it's really that simple. Be better. Be a better person of this planet, and and all of us will be so much better off in the long run.
1: So basically if you disagree with Mike, it's something he says on the show on Twitter, you know, don't don't go overboard. Don't personally (laughs) attack him. Just battle the argument. You know, battle the facts or opinions. You don't need to go personal. It's all light. It's all sports talk. Let's just tone it down. I know the Twitterverse is full of hate. Social media in general is just full of hate. You know, people going overboard because they could be anonymous behind a keyboard. But just again, like Mike said, think before you type and just try to understand people, everyone around you, even if they're not like you. Just try to understand it and just be a good part of society. That's it. That's yeah.
0: all we have. No, we're all about we're all about creating a dialogue. As long as it, it, it's a positive <laughs> one and it actually it does some good. If it's just to argue for the sake of arguing, well, you know what? There's a better time that could be spent doing something else. So Absolutely. that is the message for episode 10. We are in the double digits and lucky number 11 coming next week. There's so much going on. We'll probably still be in the first round of the playoffs. I really hope not by then. But you know what? The way it's going, it's not looking good. So we'll have, we'll have a, a new slew of information for you next week. And, of course, Go on Facebook, Mike and Mosho, Twitter, Mike Mosho, and, of course, iTunes. Download, share, rate, review. Do it all. Tell your friends. Listen to the show. We do appreciate it. It's been fun as always. And until next week, I'm Mike Calandrillo. He's Maurice Moten. And uh, thank you.
1: Face.